We are so glad you've joined us today for our Tuesday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today, we are continuing our study in the book of Genesis. So let's listen in now to Pastor Dave. Soon your trials will be over. And in verse 15 it says, And Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? Then Judah said, What shall we say, my Lord? What shall we speak, or how shall we clear ourselves? And look what is said right here. God has found out the iniquity of your servants. He doesn't say God has found us guilty of taking the silver cup. He says God has found out the iniquity of your servants. And here we are, the Lord's slaves, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. Judah is not talking about the cup in the sense of when he says, God has found out the iniquity of your servants. He's not talking about the cup. Even though they were innocent in this particular situation of the cup, they were certainly guilty of a sin past of selling Joseph into slavery some 22 years later or earlier. And so in their minds, they're thinking it's only fitting that we get caught of something and we deserve this. And so now we need to become slaves. Here, Judah and his brothers come to a place, I believe, of total surrender of going, God's got this. I, you know, don't know why it's happening now, why it didn't happen 10 years earlier. Don't know why God didn't allow for something to happen immediately after we sold Joseph into slavery. But guess what? Your sin will find you out. And there's consequences to that. And because they haven't confessed it to God and they haven't confessed it to Jacob and because they haven't, God is saying, okay, you're going to pay the penalty for that. And they realized this, that it was because of that sin, because of that sin. Verse 17 says, but he said, far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go in peace to your father. Go in peace to your father. So Joseph tests him further. One man is guilty of the theft, and he offers them one more time that only the man, only the guilty party needs to stay. The rest were able to go free. And so now they have the question that they have to ask themselves. Now they're being tempted with that famous lyric from the punk band of the 80s, should I stay or should I go? And what group is that? The Clash. You're a heathen. You shouldn't have, shouldn't have known that, Doug. But you did. You did. I know you've already confessed it. You're good. It's all good, brother. And so here is the real test. Do we stay? Do we go? Do we stay? Do we go? And so are they going to leave their brother in slavery? Have, have you really, really changed? And look what Judah does. He intercedes for Benjamin. Verse 18, Judah came near to him, said, Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing. And so he kind of takes him off to the side. He says, Do not let your anger burn against your servant, for you are even like Pharaoh. So he's about to kind of give a summary of how all this stuff came to be. And he says, Please don't be angry as I retell the whole story 
to remind Joseph, even though they don't know he's Joseph, of how much this is going to hurt their father, Jacob. And so he says in verse 19, my Lord, my Lord asks his servants saying, have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, we have a father, an old man and a child of his old age who is young. His brother is dead and he alone is left of his mother's children and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. So again, Judah is emphasizing that the prime minister there, Joseph, is the one that demanded this. And so he said, we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. And you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall see my face no more. Meaning when you come back for more grain, I'm not going to give it to you. Okay, I'm not going to give it to you. So it was when we went up to your servant, my father, that we told him the words of my Lord, that our father said, go back and buy us a little food. But we said, we cannot go back. We cannot go down. If our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down, for we may not see the face unless our younger brother is with us. Again, Judah is emphasizing that this was uh, Joseph's request of bringing their younger brother. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons, meaning Rachel. And the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him. This is the first time that Joseph hears that how it was the the news was brought to him of what happened to him. That he was torn in pieces. Somehow he heard that a wild animal had killed him. This is the first time that Joseph hears this. He's probably been thinking for many, many years, for 22, 23 years, I wonder what my brothers told my father of what happened to me. Because surely my father would have come after me had he known that I'd been sold into slavery. He's probably wondered, what did they tell him? What did they tell him? What did they? Well, now he knows. He told them that he had been killed by a wild animal. Verse 29, but if you take this one also from me and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair and sorrow to the grave. In other words, if anything happens to Benjamin, it's going to kill Jacob. Verse 30, now therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. So again, this is going to kill my father. So I have a proposition for you. A swap. My life, my brother's. Verse 32. For your servant became surety for for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I should bear the blame before my father forever. And therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad. Wow, Judah's come a long way. Selling one brother for profit, now willing to become the sacrifice for his brother and exchange his life for his. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me? Lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father. So, We're able to see a couple of things here. For one, 
Joseph did not regard his brother's life before. Now he regards his brother's life. And we see this. He's willing to exchange himself. One other time before, he and his brothers did not regard really the concern or the life of their father. Did not care about how the, the, this was going to affect their father when they come back to him and say, hey, your, your son uh, Joseph is dead. He was torn up by a wild animal. You know, didn't seem to care how his, their father was going to respond to that. Now they seem to care in regards to how their father is going to respond to Benjamin not coming back with them. So we're able to see that some things have changed with the brothers, and Joseph notices this. He notices this. Judah is willing to sacrifice himself for his brother. You have to be able to see a typology here. Remember, Judah is the tribe that who comes from? The Messiah, who died in the place of us, took our place. Here we see the innocent dying for the guilty, Jesus dying for the guilty. And here we see Judah, who was innocent of this particular sin of stealing the cup. And yet he's able to be a substitute for his brother, for his father's sake. Jesus came down to die for us for the father's sake. Judah's doing the same thing. There's a typology there of Judah being the type of Jesus. It's interesting, we see several of these. We see Moses once willing to offer himself up for the salvation of Israel. After Moses is given the Ten Commandments, God tells them to go down that there's sin in the camp and how he wants to destroy them all and everything else as they're worshiping at the golden calves and things like that. And Moses says, no, 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 take my life, but spare theirs. And you go, what? When I read that, I, I have to admit to the Lord, I, I would have been on board with your plan. I would have said, yeah, wipe them out. I'm sick and tired of them too. But Moses didn't do that. He, he's being that type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul did the same thing. Paul said the same thing in Romans chapter 9. He says, if I could, if I could spare my, if I could sacrifice my life in order for all Israel to be saved, he said he would do that. Wow, that great sacrificial love. And yet we see Judah doing the same thing. And that's exactly what Jesus did with us. It's interesting in John 13, verse 34, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Well, how did Jesus love us? By sacrificing himself for us. By this, all will know that you're my disciples. You have love for one another. In John 15, it says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. When we love one another, when someone has an issue or needs prayer or needs some time that we need to come alongside or something to be done from them, we sacrifice ourselves with our time, things that we want to do to come alongside other people. No greater love is that because that's what Jesus does for us every moment of the day and has done for us. Judah and his brothers are showing themselves to be changed men and it broke Joseph's heart and he couldn't contain himself any longer. And here we have chapter 45, verse 1. It says, Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, Make everyone go out for me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known 
to his brothers. He wept out loud. The Egyptians, the house of Pharaoh, heard it. The word known here, making himself known to his brother, is the Hebrew word yada. And it means to perceive. It means to see. It means to find out. It means to discern. It means to know by experience. It means to know in an intimate and personal way. There are some who believe that when Joseph commands for everyone to go out from him so he can make himself known to his brothers, that the one of the things that he did to show his brothers that he was Joseph's was that he opened his robe to reveal himself to show that he too was circumcised. He was saying, I was just like you. I'm just like you. I'm identifying myself with you and the covenant with Abraham, thus proving he is their brother. This is what all the rabbis teach. And when I read this, I, it seems to make sense to me that that's exactly what he would do, you know? And so in verse 3, it says, And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. The word dismayed in Hebrew is bahal. means to be troubled, to be disturbed. As you would as Joseph is standing there with any pants on. Yeah, I'd be a little disturbed. And so, and Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. He said, not until you close your robe. I'm just saying. So they came near and they said to him, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery. Understand, into slavery. Understand, he is now speaking to him in Hebrew. He's now speaking to him in Hebrew. Before that, it was always through an interpreter. Not as he's shown that he has the same covenant, sign of the covenant as they, he's speaking to him in Hebrew. And he's communicating to him, I'm Joseph. You know it had to just blow them away. This revelation had to hit them like a lightning bolt. Boom. And yet what he says next is absolutely amazing. But now, Do not be grieved or angry with yourselves. Because all this is swimming through their head. Oh, no. Here's the comeuppance. He's going to get back at us. This is Joseph. Oh, my goodness. What have we done? And their sin comes back. And yet here's Joseph. He's the most powerful man in the land. And oh, my goodness, what's going to happen? And he says, do not, therefore, be grieved or angry with yourselves. Because you sold me here. (laughs) This is what you did. Don't be grieved. Don't be angry. You sold me here. But look at this. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Joseph, at that moment, I believe, has this epiphany. He didn't understand it before. This is all coming to him at this moment. He has this epiphany. The light has gone on. He realizes even though... They did this thing because he says he did. You sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. God is the one that allowed all these things. He allowed all these things to put him in this place, in this position to save his family from the famine. Verse 6. 
For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there'll be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not so much you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father and made me a father. And he has. God has done abundantly above all that you can ask or think. It's just one of these things that we look at it and it says, now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord over all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Look what God has done. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. Here we see the providence of God. Verse five, you sold me here for God sent me. Verse eight, now it was not you who sent me here, but God. First part, you did this, but it's really God who did this. But guess what? You still did it. You still did it. I want you to go over to Acts chapter two. We'll come back here in a moment. But in Acts chapter two, on the day of Pentecost, Peter says the same things in the way of, We, as human agents, we as God's creation, have been created with free will. And guess what? We are responsible for the decisions and choices we make with our free will. Yet God can work through that free will to still accomplish his purposes. That's why he's such an amazing God, as I will be able to show you here in a moment. Okay, but look what he says, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, first sermon ever preached, right here, starting in verse 22. He's here, he's preaching to all these people, and it says in verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst, and you yourselves also know, meaning It's irrefutable. You can't refute this. This is what Jesus did. He did miracles. He did signs. He did wonders. He did amazing healings. You all saw it. We know this. Verse 23, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. It was God's purpose. He knew it was going to happen. But just because it was his purpose and he knew it was going to happen doesn't mean he caused it. Because look what it says after that. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Yes, God's plan for Jesus to die for the sin of mankind was determined before even creation even began. It was from his foreknowledge. But just because God knew it doesn't mean God caused it. And who does he hold responsible? Them. Your choice your decision. Just like here with Joseph. Guess what? You guys did this. Your choice, your decision. But guess what? It was God's purpose. He knew it was going to happen. Even though he didn't cause it, he's able to still use it for this purpose, for me to save the family. How great and mighty and awesome is our God 
that he does that. I love that. I love this. God still used the pain to bring about his purpose to preserve the lives of the whole family. But guess what? They're still responsible for their actions, even though it accomplished God's purpose. This is how a loving God expresses his sovereignty. By allowing his created beings to use their free will and yet is still able to accomplish his purposes. In God's sovereignty, he created humanity to have free will. There are those who seem to believe that for God to be sovereign, humanity cannot have free will. And this view presumes that the infinite and all-powerful God is somehow incapable of maintaining a sovereignty over the free will of his humanity. Calvinists believe this, okay? To Calvinists, sovereignty means God does everything It means foreordination or his decree, meaning if he knows it, it's because he decreed it and he causes it. In this slide here, Calvinism, God knows the future because God determines or causes the future. A.W. Pink says God foreknows what will be because he has decreed what shall be. John Calvin said God foreknew what the end of man was to be because he has so ordained or decreed it. R.C. Sproul says, what all Calvinism leads to, if you believe what Calvinism believes, is that foreknowledge means foreordination of God decreeing something to be. What he's saying there is because God knows it, it's because he causes it. Now understand where this leads, he says. This leads to everything that man has ever done has been decreed by God. Every murder, every theft, every... If you don't believe me, R.C. Sproul also says God's will, God wills all things to come to pass. God desired for man to fall into sin. I am not accusing God of sinning. I am suggesting that God created sin. You just have to understand where this leads to, this kind of thinking. Well, if God created sin, then he's the author and cause of sin. Sproul doesn't really explain that. He just kind of leaves it there. I want you to know something. In God's word, he makes it very clear that he knows everything. In 1 John 3.20, it tells us God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Psalm 147.5, great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. There's nothing he doesn't know and there isn't anything he doesn't understand. But knowing all things does not mean causing all things. Pastor and professor of theology, Leighton Flowers, says this. I, I have it up here. We, we need to be able to see this. It's, a, I think, a very, very brilliant encapsulation of who God is. But he says, suppose you went for a walk in your local park, and you happen upon an elderly man playing a game of chess all by himself. You stop and ask him, and why is he playing both sides of the chessboard? And he says, it's the only way I know how to guarantee my victory. Okay. You continue on your way to find another elderly man playing chess with an actual opponent, followed by a line of challengers as far as the eye can see. One by one, they are defeated soundly without much effort due to the wisdom and the abilities of this elderly chess master. Which one are you going to go home and talk about? That's huge. 
That's huge. Which one is really greater and more praiseworthy? God is God. He can do whatever he wants. And if he indeed causes all things to happen, he is still great. He is still powerful. I'm not 100% if he's praiseworthy. I'm not 100% sure he's praiseworthy. That's it for another edition of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. If you've missed any of these teachings and would like to catch up, you can download our free mobile app. It's a great way to take any of Pastor Dave's teachings with you wherever you go. All you have to do is go to the Apple App Store or Google Play and search for Calvary Castle Rock. Once you've installed the app, open it up and click on Teachings and then go to On the Radio. There you can listen to today's segment or any of the previous segments by broadcast date. You can also subscribe to our radio audio podcast. If you want to learn more about our ministry, please go to our website at calvarycr.com. That's calvarycr.com. As always, thanks again for listening in today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God.